cause you can't knock the hustle. Good morning, and welcome to episode 438 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Uh, I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? Okay. Did you uh, just see the tweet from our friends at You Can't Predict Baseball, noting that the Diamondbacks now officially have as many losses as the Tigers have played games? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, Diamondbacks story gets sadder every day it seems like it does although also they've played eight more games than the Tigers Mm, which is also interesting this is two fun facts in one Mm -hmm. because it both of those could stand on their own but yeah that those Diamondbacks wait why does it get sadder because they signed Lucas Harrell oh yeah that's true (laughs) Uh, they traded for him yeah you're right player to be named later all right. Anything, or should we just plow right into this? Well, you know how Ryan Goins was my 2014 test case for mechanical adjustments. Um, yeah, yeah. My my ongoing struggle to to understand whether I should give any credence to reports that some player has overhauled his swing or has changed his stance and he's a new player now. So I bookmarked or mentally bookmarked this story by Shai Davidi from from late February where uh, it was it was your typical you know mechanical adjustment story for Ryan Goins and the story was that Kevin Seitzer the new Blue Jays hitting coach had seen something in Goins uh, he had he had invited Goins over to his house over the winter put him through some drills made an adjustment with his hands and then the quote from Seitzer is, I told Alex and Gibb, uh, Anthopoulos and John Gibbons, there's more in this kid's tank. I wouldn't be quick to pull the trigger on a second baseman. With the way he plays defense and the runs he saves with his glove, he's going to be able to contribute with the bat, I believe. And then the story says, two and a half months later, spring training is underway and Goins is the front runner to open the season at second base. With Mycera's tourists, Chris Getz and Steve Tollison, his primary competition, really the job is his to lose. Even with free agent Stephen Drew still sitting on the open market, and the hopes riding on the 26-year-old's streamlined swing are a primed reason for that. And it goes over how you know Goins is going to hit now. And so this was this was my test case for the year, although there are many, just because Pakoda predicted Goins to hit 247 with a 283 on base percentage and like a 360 slugging or something. And every time we did a preseason list of what the weak positions in baseball were, what you know, what positions were really going to cost their teams this season. Blue Jays second base kept showing up at the top of those lists, and so I was hesitant to go all out in criticizing that because you know new Ryan Goins, and so now uh, Goins hit 150 with a 203 on base percentage and 217 slugging in 66 plate appearances, and now the Blue Jays have gone to Chris Getz at second base. So, uh, that's interesting. Um, all of that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's a simple size of one, but I will uh, add it to the others. Part of what's interesting, though, is that um, in the uh, the comment, uh, the the BP annual book comment for Anthony Ghost, a player who hasn't been mentioned yet in this conversation, uh, written by Adam Sobsey, one of my favorite comments. He ends with, 
Uh, it'll be a bonus if he and Goins both stick, giving the Jays a duo of bizarro world conjugations of Go. Goes, G O S E, and Goins. Uh, and I also like to think that uh, in a particular bastardization, you could also say Gets. Mm, <laughs> with true. a Z is also a conjugation of Go. <laughs> Right? Yeah, sure. Go, goes, gets, and goings. <laughs> sure. This is almost as good as your Mike Carp pun the other day. So, no, that was not. That was <laughs> that was just the spirit caught me and I fell down. That was not a. Uh, <laughs> that was not. That was not nearly as much of a keeper as this one is. I feel like this one has callback potential. Unlike Chris Getz. <laughs> if you're calling up Chris Getz, I mean, I don't. You know. That's not good. <laughs> you should, should you should have a better plan than that, right? Chris gets we know what Chris gets is, and it's not really a guy that you want starting at second base. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to talk about Bryce Harper. Sure, if that's okay. Um, and uh, Bryce Harper, of course, as as everybody knows, is going to be out for six to eight weeks. He injured his thumb diving headfirst into third base. Um, and, you know, there are various reasons that this is significant and various ways that you could talk about this. But what's really been interesting to me is how Harper has uh, found himself at at the center of this controversy that extends beyond him. It feels like it has been bubbling up for, you know, a year or so about the idea of hustle. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I don't know if other listeners have noticed this. But um, I feel like there's a conversation happening right now among baseball writers about whether hustle is is even a good thing and that mm-hmm. hustling itself uh, calls for hustle uh, 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 demands that players hustle and and even just guys hustling just on their own accord uh, has been um, a, a divisive kind of thing it's been sort of mocked uh, as uh, perhaps disruptive as as injurious uh, in fact and and in, in fact literally in this case injurious mm-hmm. and um i find this fascinating i, I find uh the whole thing fascinating i also find the response to um to matt williams benching of bryce harper a couple of weeks ago for not hustling to have been fascinating and i find now that harper has been injured and uh, it has been wrapped into this uh to also be fascinating mm-hmm. so i just wanted to find out where you come down uh on hustle both kind of uh uh, in an abstract way, uh, are you pro-hustle, uh, or do you have a, 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 anything against hustle um, mm-hmm. as a sort of a cost-benefit analysis? Uh, or uh, and, and, and more specifically, from your perch uh, out here in the non-uniformed portion of the sport, uh, where you have not uh, you have not worn the spikes, uh, you have not pine tarred the bat. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you feel that from your seat you're capable of having a a, 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 a worthy perspective on hustle? Mm. Well, I'm. I, I don't know whether you can can you be pro hustle to a point and say that that you're you're pro hustle until it becomes a problem. Like if yeah, you hustle so too hard. Yeah, we'll talk about. <laughs> so tell me, give me give me your line. What where's it's, what what it's, are what are I guess what are the what are the mile markers in the hustle journey mm-hmm. and and where does it start to go uh, in, into into the woods? Well, I don't know whether this Harper injury qualifies, right? Because I mean, sliding headfirst into third base, which is how he got hurt, is you know that's not an instance of extraordinary hustle, right? I mean, sliding into a base is not above and beyond, right? I mean, you should you should slide. 
I would think. Now, maybe maybe you should try to always slide feet foot first so as not to endanger your your hands because this is an injury that we've seen other guys have from sliding Dustin Pedroia and Josh Hamilton. So maybe you want to teach people to to slide a different way. Maybe it's less risky. But well, wait, hang on. Let's because if there's going to be mile markers, there's got to be a first mile uh, to mark. So can, can we just agree that uh, going uh, stretching a double into a triple uh, that involves running hard, uh, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about running hard in order to uh, to to try to get some benefit for your for your club, right? So we could just say running out every ball and play, you're just sprinting. Whoa! First. Hold on, hold on. That's a <laughs> oh, much that, later. That's, that's oh, a okay. much later mile. This okay. is a this is this is trying to get a triple. Uh-huh. We're we're good with triples, right? We don't find triples sure. to be excessive hustle. No. Uh, okay. So we're pro if triple. If you've got a shot at getting there, then then no. That's All right, so that's that's just the very first building block. I don't think anybody is against triples. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So then head first slide would be the next thing. Uh, it's slightly slightly it's it's slightly faster to slide head first than to slide feet first. It's uh you know cons- it it visually looks more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it has the uh, get, added benefit of dirtier. looking like hustle. Yeah, it, it, it at least in a part of the uniform that that is visible. More like hustle, but it also exposes you to a different type of injury, and, and arguably, uh, and I, I just, I, you know, I'm sure I didn't read the only thing on this, but a few days ago I happened to be reading something that that found that it it does lead to more injuries than feet first sliding. So uh, presumably it is uh, it comes at some risk, but it gets you there faster. Are we in favor of head first sliding when necessary? No, if I mean it, it depends. I'd have to, you know, we'd have to know what the injury rates are and and what that cost benefit is and how many how many outs you're gonna get because you're milliseconds slower. But it seems to me that if there is an elevated injury risk of of something like this that requires surgery, then I would be okay with just telling everyone not to do that, even if it means an occasional out. So you would uh, you would you would be fine telling a team no head first slides. I think so. I mean, I'd want to know more because I don't really know what the difference in time is. I mean, it it can't be that great, right? But um, three and a half seconds. <laughs> if that were the case, I would I would say it's okay. But uh, no, yeah, it's, it's minuscule. But on the other hand, it, the uh, you know there are, as Matt Williams noted, how many thousands of headfirst slides go unnoticed. I mean, I I watched one just now, and mm-hmm. nobody nobody got hurt. Mm-hmm. So it, there, we're talking about minuscule effects on both sides. I don't know if anybody's done the math. Mm-hmm. But well, you know, it does seem it does seem reasonable. I mean, Peter, I Peter Borges slides feet first uh, exclusively, mm-hmm. and I've always admired that. And I've I when I was timing him against Mike Trout, who is a aggressive head first slider, um, one of the most frequent head first sliders I've I've ever seen on the base pass. Uh, I didn't see a uh, you know I, I thought that it was uh, it, it was actually uh, Borges is so used to sliding feet first, and he's so good at it. That he actually is able to start his slide much later, um, and uh, and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it costs him, but that's because he's 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 become very good at it. That's part of his game is to get there fast mm-hmm. while while sliding feet first, and so he's it's a learned skill. I don't know that everybody can do it as well as he does and as as yeah. safely as he does. Right. Well, that's the thing. I'm I'm saying that I'd be okay with telling people to stop doing it, but I don't know whether you can do that. Maybe if you're teaching people in little league, maybe you teach the kids not to do it, and then they they get used to 
sliding feet first, and that's that. But if you acquire someone at the major league level or even draft someone, maybe those habits are so ingrained that you can't change it. Uh, so, you know, and you don't want them to be tentative in some way. All right, well, we're, we're, are we going to get to uh, crashing into walls? That's that's a few miles we'll get there. ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we'll so get there. What's next? Yeah. Uh, running out every ground ball, even, you know, up to the point where the play is, is, is concluded. So, uh, ground ball to the, to the pitcher. Uh, let's, let's actually start with just saying you run, you don't mm-hmm. not, it doesn't have to be a, uh, you know, the fastest 30 yards you've ever run, but you are locomoting toward the bag at something like full speed in case, in case something happens. Mm-hmm. I think, I think this answer might vary for me based on the player and the profile of the player i mean if you're if you're a a young player who's who has no track record of injury and is you know a guy who's maybe known for his speed or something or even not but just well-conditioned guy uh with no no elevated injury risk then i think it's reasonable to expect you to run hard on every play i mean major leaguers can generally run to first um without you know subjecting themselves to too much strain now if you're if you're an older player if you're a player with a history of hamstring issues or calf strains or whatever any sort of lower leg problem if you're a pitcher who's maybe not conditioned as well to sprint or doesn't have to do it in games often i i'd be okay with you not doing it if you're if there's really any any elevated risk because i don't think the benefit is great um you know just Going back to that that Cano beating out Grounders article I wrote and and contrasting him with Jeter, it's like, you know, maybe you can beat out a handful of singles over the course of a season, and that's that's not an inconsequential amount of value. That's that's valuable. Um, but if if there's a significant risk that you're going to pull something and and be on the 15 day DL because you wanted to get that single, then I think it's it's reasonable not to expect you to do that. So. It varies for me. If you're, you know, if you're Mike Trout and you're young and you're healthy and you're fit and you have no injury history, um, and you have the speed to to beat out a lot of grounders, then by all means do it. If you're a guy who's not going to beat out a lot of grounders from running that hard and and has some elevated risk profile, then I would say just just be conservative. Yeah, I think I basically feel that way for a slightly different reason. I feel like there's uh, it, when you're talking about young guys, you're not just uh, it's not just that they're more able to, to handle it, but you're also you're trying to develop a kind of a mindset in them. You 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 know they're young, they're they're rich, they're being molded and sculpted, and they're under your care, and you have to you know you have a lot of years with them uh, ahead of you, and you kind of want to develop this particular quality of 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 uh you know of grinding like you don't like as much as we mock the guy who is lionized for his grinder mentality despite being bad at baseball uh there is you know there there is generally i i I think a a, you know a, a fair consensus that uh if you can have a good player who also wants to win uh that's good like you'd rather have a good player who wants to win then who doesn't want to win? And so you're just sort of, and I don't know that that's necessary. Like, I imagine that Bryce Harper's pretty good at motivating himself and that most of these guys are pretty good at motivating themselves. But, you know, I do defer to the manager to know the personalities and to know which guys need it and which guys don't. And so 
mm-hmm. it would make it, it it would make sense to me that a manager would see a young player and say, you know, we're I um, promote certain personality characteristics. Uh, it also would make sense to me that a manager would would see too many. Case, I mean, it, you know, all managers can get to do is manage, and mm-hmm. so they are probably all. All, looking all over the place for opportunities to manage, and any anything that they see that sparkles is an opportunity to manage, and they probably overmanage in some cases. But uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of defer to the idea that young players uh, can can uh, you know be kicked in the butt a bit, and you know Raul Labanez can be sort of left alone and, and handle his own business and be trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what about uh, the expectation that you would run uh, every ground ball out? You know. Like you remember how Bryce Harper used to do it, where he would, you know, he he'd get walked and he'd run to first like he was trying to beat out a beat out a double play. Yeah. Uh, do you have do you mind an expectation that young healthy players without hamstring issues should run uh, full speed, uh, run as hard as they can on every play? Nope, I'm okay with that. I mean, I've never I've never really liked the the sprinting to first base after a walk thing because that that seems like false hustle to me that you know that that seems like broadcasting your hustle there's no there's no benefit to that you walk you get to you get to walk literally if you want to so you know that uh, that's just sort of a a little league Eckstein I'm Mr. Hustle thing uh what about um super hard takeout slide at second base Mm. uh I don't know I I mean probably Probably against. I, I mean, double plays can really be be bad for for an offensive team. So if you can break one up, that's that's big. If you can do that regularly, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess there is the incentive there. There's maybe more incentive than there is to to try to beat out a a typical grounder. But I'm I'm generally when it comes to contact, I feel like I would. Air on the side of caution. Uh, okay, what about sliding and or diving for uh, fly balls uh, up by four runs or more? <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I mean, the question is, can you can you turn it off, right? I don't know whether you can do that. Can Can a fielder weigh the leverage of the situation and say, I'm up by four, I don't need to dive in this case, and... You know, when it's a tie game in the ninth, just turn it back on and say, now I can do it. Or is it something where you just have to have that ingrained? You have to, it's an instinct. It's, it's something that is built into the player after years of playing as hard as he possibly can to get to the major leagues. And you can't necessarily just deactivate it at certain times. If you could, if it were possible to factor the situation in and say it's low leverage, there's no real benefit to my going all out for this fly ball, then, then yeah, sure, I'd be in favor of that. Let me rephrase then. Um, there are a handful of players who get a reputation for not sliding ever. And uh, Garrett Anderson was always always had this reputation in, in Anaheim. And I, I, think, I think it was generally an unfair reputation. But, uh, you know, there are some players who, who just don't, who, who don't slide as much. Do you have an issue with a player who just, that's not his style who just kind of chooses to be slightly more lackluster i mean would that grind on you over the course of years watching him or do you trust a player to sort of know his limitations on on mm. such such plays i think that might bother me 
Mm-hmm. Never, never sliding would bother me. Uh-huh. Uh, all right, and then uh, running face first into walls, uh, <laughs> or you know, I guess this would fall under uh, n- risking injury in a ex- sort of explicit way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because you really want to catch that ball. Um, you know, I mean, that would be running into walls. Do you have a problem with running into walls? I mean, you're going to say, well, it depends on the play. It depends, but like we've already determined that they can't turn it off. So Mm -hmm. it might be for all, you know, for all they know, it might be the seventh game of the world series and the tying run is on second base. Uh, they treat every play like that. So Mm -hmm. do, do you want them shying away from the wall? Yeah, I think so. I would prefer my players not to to crash face first into the wall. Um, you know, I mean, even if I feel like if you get to the point where you're crashing face first into a wall, what what's your probability of catching the ball anyway? It's got to be fairly low, right? I mean, we see that happen all the time that guys go right into the wall and they don't catch the ball and then you've you've gotten nothing out of it. You've just yeah. crashed into the wall. Yeah, but there's I mean there's all sorts of I mean like Trout has you know all those those home runs that Trout has robbed Mm-hmm. Uh, all but you know maybe one or two of them they involve impact you know he's running and he sort of he leaps into the wall or you see like you know Josh Reddick uh, do his thing where he sort of uh, climbs the wall with his spike I mean that's yeah. probably super dangerous I who who was it I just saw somebody do one that looked oh I think it was Billy Hamilton on like opening day or so uh, like the second inning of opening day maybe and he like did this full sort of Superman leap into the wall with his spike outstretched and like planted into the wall to brace for impact. And, you know, it looked horrifyingly dangerous. It wasn't an Aaron Rowan face mash mm-hmm. or Bryce Harper face mash. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, anytime you're aggressive with the wall when you're sort of the anti Nelson Cruz or the anti Bobby Abreu. Yeah. I don't have an, that's <laughs> no end. Talk about sentence. that. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I don't have a problem with the the type where you're drifting back and you're timing your leap and you're, you know, just trying to pull the ball back over the wall. Those those generally seem fairly low impact. I mean, maybe you maybe you come down against the wall as you're as you're falling after having jumped for the ball, but but you're you're not slamming your head into the wall. You're not running into it directly. So those those are fine. But yeah, the ones where you just aren't aware that there's a warning track and you just run full speed into it. And again, I mean, it's, you know, I'm sitting here saying that and and when you're in a game and you're you're going back on a ball, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard enough just to track the ball in the few seconds that it's in the air, let alone to do this cost benefit analysis of whether it's worth it to the team for you to go all out after this ball or, you know, what is the run value of my catching this ball as opposed to it falling for a double or something. I mean, you can't do that math at that moment, probably. But, but well, you know, if there were a, if there's a player like a Rowand or, or someone who has demonstrated time after time that he will run into walls, I would be less likely to acquire that player. Yeah, so that brings us to the important question, which is that Bryce Harper has now missed, uh, missed. he's going to miss significant time two years in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seems to be getting injuries that don't just keep him out, uh, but affect his play when he's in. Uh, there was uh, that great series, uh, that great um, piece we wrote uh, on his on his swing and how it seemed to have been affected by uh, his injury last year, and now, of course, he has this 
Same injury that, as Keith Law pointed out, uh, seemed to maybe have sapped Dustin Pedroia's power last year. This is a thumb injury that Matt Williams noted he has previously uh, uh, suffered as a high schooler. So uh, we've got a guy now who's going to have about three years of service time at the end of this year and almost certainly have uh, unfulfilled potential, an Mm -hmm. injury tag, uh, lots of missing time. Is he now a uh officially a concern uh well i'm i'm feeling better about picking trout over over harper in the the trout versus harper early on in that debate but i i mean i hope we get to see a full season of great bryce harper and i'm sure we will at some point he was he was baseball prospectus's staff consensus nl mvp pick this season which actually sort of surprised me. I, he wasn't on my top three, I don't think. But that was the kind of expect, expectation that, that people had for him going into this year. And and talent-wise, you can understand why. But but yeah, I mean, after this after this year, he he will have that injury-prone label, I think. And and it's probably about as fair as it is for, for any player. So it's... It's it's disappointing. I would like to see a full season of healthy Bryce Harper and see what he could do. But yeah, I mean, I would I would downgrade my expectations for him and his career a little bit just based on the way he plays and and the fact that it doesn't seem like his body can necessarily handle the way he plays. Yeah, I suspect that uh, this hustle thing between him and Matt Williams. I, I'm generally pro hustle. I, I, I'm particularly uh, pro-hustle when it comes to dropped third strikes. It just irritates me to no end that they don't make the catcher throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kills me. But, yeah, I mean, I'm more or less pro-hustle. Um, but I think that, for the most part, I am. Um, I, I think that players uh, have their own speeds. They yeah. have uh, their own, uh, you know, they more or less know where... Uh, effort becomes an injury risk, and I trust them to make that, uh, to weigh that. I think that managers generally have an understanding of what players' limits are, and I trust them to uh, push players to that limit and not beyond. And I think that when you have these sort of skirmishes that happen between players and managers, as this one happened with Williams and Harper, I usually assume that it's not about the hustle at all, that this is just, uh, you know, something visible that happened on the field it's one of the you know one of those things that we see that you know that happens in front of us but Mm -hmm. that basically Matt Williams just didn't like Bryce Harper already and Bryce Harper probably already didn't like Matt Williams already and they probably had had some sort of tension between them and this gave an outlet to that tension so my guess is that it's probably not worth reading too much into the literalness of the dispute that's just my guess Mm -hmm. and are you expecting still to see the the monster Bryce Harper season at some point? Uh, yeah, I think I still am. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I, I mean, I wonder though whether we will see the monster national season that we've been expecting, because they they kind of let everyone down last year, and now this year they've had lots of injuries between Harper and Fister and Zimmerman and just and Ramos and everyone who's been hurt, they are at least so far sort of heading for a, another season like last year where everyone came in predicting them to win a hundred games and then, and then stuff happens and they don't wait. 
aren't they aren't they winning aren't they doing pretty well right now aren't they they're doing okay they're they're a couple games over 500 they're i think they're behind the mets actually um uh-huh. so but yeah, a couple I mean, games over 500 and i mean th- th- you can't be that far over five they have a well it's like a 540 winning percentage so yeah what is that like an 86 win pace yeah about what they were last year just sort of a, yeah. a different trajectory but uh but yeah they are they are sort of uh-huh they are harper i mean harper's a, a microcosm of them i guess just the the team with super high expectations really strong roster lots of skills and tools and talent that so far has not put it together so i would i'd like to see nationals firing on all cylinders and bryce harper doing bryce harper things all year not not these bryce harper things but the good ones we should put the um, the article, the Bryce Harper swing article that Ryan Parker did on mm-hmm. the on the page because this is a, a really good article that everybody should see to see mm-hmm. how his uh, swing was affected by his injury last year. Yeah, uh, and just because it's good reading, so uh, yeah, I will link it on the Facebook group, facebook.com/group/effectivelywild. All right, so that's all. Close and- this out then. Oh, uh, and tomorrow's email show, so we need some from you. So please send us some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to baseballreference.com, subscribe to the Play Index using the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. And we will be back tomorrow.